Howdy folks! Today we are going to be talking about 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 7. Now in our previous two lessons we have focused on the first six verses of this chapter and we talked about how the context goes back into chapter 2 and verse 12 or thereabouts and forward. When we were looking at 1 Peter 3 1 we looked at the word likewise and talked about how that brought into context the things that were aforementioned, where our study today begins with the word likewise. So once again, this is keeping with the context, the context of what we saw about obedience to civil authorities, to those that are authority over uh, servants, or, or in other words, slaves, being one who is able to suffer through what one might face to be in Christ in the realm of persecution like Jesus did without being vengeful. We've talked about the Christian woman who is married to the non-Christian man and how if that Christian man would not obey the word that they may without the word, meaning without the gospel, the word of God, the truth, be won by the conduct of the wife. And then we talked about that conduct and how it's not external, but internal. So today we're going to be talking about likewise, ye husbands. And you know, there's a lot to think about, especially as we kind of keep with the uh, context and what we've been talking about. It's, you know, when you, people look at marriage, uh, people think about getting married, men especially. Proverbs 18.22 said, Whoso findeth a wife findeth a good thing, a good thing. A good thing, wow. A good thing and obtain a favor of the Lord, especially if that woman's a virtuous woman, because there's a contrast, right? Proverbs 12, 4 says, A virtuous woman is a crown to her husband, but she that maketh ashamed is as rottenness in his bones. So you can marry the right woman out there, guys, or you can pick the one that's going to make your life not so quite enjoyable. That virtuous woman that you see in Proverbs 31, 10 through the end of the chapter is the goal of finding that. However, Proverbs 31.10, that context starts off with, who can find a virtuous woman for her price is far above rubies. So it's not that every woman out there is a virtuous woman. Wasn't in the past, isn't in the present. And that makes it difficult, finding that right person. And when you find that right person, that woman who's going to help you build a home, build a family, uh, you know, Proverbs 14.1 says, Every wise woman buildeth her house, but the foolish plucketh it down with her hands. You've got that contrast. You've got the woman that's going to help you as a man, going to be the kind of woman that's going to have, you're going to have a great relationship with. But what about on the other side? What about, and that's really, you know, the greater context that we're looking about is about the not so ideal situations, and that's kind of putting it mildly. What about the man who's married to a woman that's not a, a Christian, that's not a believer? We know that can happen. We know that there's authority for that marriage. 1 Corinthians 7, 12, To the rest speak I, not the Lord. If any brother hath a wife that believeth not, and she be pleased to dwell with him, let him not put her away. But that's going to be challenging, right? As a man, you have responsibilities uh, to bring up your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, Ephesians 6 in verse 4, and other responsibilities. Well, as you're trying to be the spiritual guide of the home, what if you're getting pushback 
from that unbelieving wife, that wife that's not supportive. Well, like we've talked about with the woman who is married to the non-Christian man, that doesn't remove you of your responsibilities that Christ expects. You know, in Ephesians 5, 25 through 28, and just remember this because I'll make reference to it later in our lesson, says, husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Now, there's not a qualifier there. It doesn't say, husbands, love your wives if they're virtuous, if she's a Christian, if she is faithful in all ways. It just says, husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. So the focal point, like unto the context about the woman who is to win her husband by her conduct, the goal ought to be to save souls, right? And we're going to talk about that as we get to the language of 1 Peter 3, 7. And the Ephesians 5 context, verse 25 to 28 continues, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. That's very clear. We're told as men not to be bitter against our wives. Colossians 3.19, husbands love your wives and be not bitter against them. Again, there's not the qualifier. And as we look at the scriptures, there's not qualifiers. This context, in fact, proves that. And that maybe there are men that don't want to think about that. Maybe there are men that want to say, I would love my wife if she was lovable. Or I, I would love my wife if she was virtuous. I would love my wife if she did this or did that. Those qualifiers aren't there. Okay, well, what if you're a man and you have find yourself in a relationship, in a marriage that is not what you pictured, not what you envisioned? Well, somewhere along the line, you were attracted to that woman. Somewhere along the line, she was somebody you wanted to marry. Man might say, well, I wasn't a Christian then. Okay, there was something. Were you physically attracted to her? Go back to the first works. Go back to what started your relationship. In any marital type of situation or any relationship situation where there's a problem, you got to go back to the beginning. Think about the spiritual application. The church in Ephesus in Revelation 2, 1 through 5, it says, John wrote them by inspiration this, unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write these things, saith he that hold the, the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works, thy labor, and thy patience, how thou canst bear them which are evil, how thou hast tried them which say they're apostles and are not, hast found them liars, hast borne and hast patience. My name's sake has labored and hast not fainted. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works. There's the key to the point that I'm trying to make. Do the first works. And Jesus uh, through the pen of John, or else I will come to thee quickly and remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. Go back and do the first works. That context is an illustration of that. How do you get that love back? Go back and do the first works. Uh, go back and, and what, what started this all? What drove you uh, to this person to begin with? And begin rebuilding. Don't give in. Don't give up. Don't say, well, I just don't want to be with her anymore. That's how divorces come about. Somebody makes the decision that they're not happy in their relationship 
And next thing you need, you know, they're torpedoing that relationship. Instead of seeking to rebuild it, they're tearing it down. They're making the home an unlivable place. And then, especially if you're married to an unbeliever, that unbeliever is not held to the standards that you are because they don't believe the scriptures the way that you do. And that unbeliever may decide, I'm going to leave. Well, I want you to consider, how is the man innocent in that situation if he has made the marriage an unlivable situation, if he has made the home a miserable place and excused himself along the way? Well, 1 Peter 3, 1 through 7 takes away that, those excuses, takes away that argument that you might use to despise your wife. And yes, it's a challenging thing because we know that love is to be without hypocrisy. We're to abhor that which is evil and cleave to that which is good. However, you have the command to love your wife. And the context of 1 Peter 3 is with your conduct to be trying to win their soul. That's a lost soul. That's the person you said, I love you. I do marry you. I want to spend my life with you. I want to build a home with you. You've got to love them enough to fight for her soul, as we're talking to men here. So the text that we're going to look at says, likewise, 1 Peter 3, 7, likewise, I've already made this point, ye husbands dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. So in a similar manner, Likewise, language that we see in other texts, you know, think about uh, a marital text. 1 Corinthians 7, 3 and 4, let the husband render unto the wife due benevolence, and likewise, also the wife unto the husband. The wife hath not power over her own body, but the husband, and likewise, same word there as we're talking about here, also the husband hath not power of his own body, but the wife. So in that context, talking about the physical relationship within the marriage, you've given your body to your spouse. And it's likewise, the husband to the wife and the wife uh, to the husband. So that word being used here brings us back to the things we talked about in verses 1 through 6. Now, there's a slight difference, right? Because the wife is being subjection to her own husband. So men, your wife having to submit to you, What's a likewise point from that? How about if you make that easy for her to do? How about that you make it so that she wants to submit to you? You know, when you look at scriptures and think about some points, the psalmist said in Psalm 37, 30, the mouth of the righteous speaketh wisdom and his tongue talketh of judgment. How about if your wife gets to see that you're a wise person and that she can trust you and take counsel from you and trust you with the decisions of the home? And Proverbs 12, verse 8, a man shall be commended according to his wisdom, but he that is a perverse heart shall be despised. How about she sees your decisions and the wisdom that have taken place in them and she feels comfortable? We talked about the woman building a home. What about Proverbs 24, 3? Through wisdom is a house builded and by understanding it is established. And not talking about just the physical structure of a house, but the framework of a family what, what, what if your wife can see that you're making the kind of decisions that she can trust in? What if she can trust in you to provide for her if you have children, to provide for the children? You know, in the context of widows and widows indeed, in 1 Timothy 5 verse 8, it says, If any provide not for his own, especially those of his own house, he hath denied the faith and is worse 
than an infidel. That is worse than an unbeliever. Can she look at you and say, I trust your decision-making and I trust that you're going to take care of me. And if we have children, I trust that you're going to take care of us. Can she put her confidence in you? If you desire to teach her the gospel through your conduct, she has to see that you're not worse than an unbeliever, that she can trust that you've got her, that she can trust that you're going to take care of her, using your conduct as a means to teach. When Paul was meeting with the Ephesians in Acts 20, 33-35, he said, I have coveted no man's silver or gold or apparel. Yea, yourselves know that these hands have ministered unto my necessities, and to them that were with me, I have showed you all things, how that so laboring you ought to support the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said it is more blessed to give than to receive. He showed them all things. He didn't just teach it. He showed it to them. Well, men, are you showing your wife the gospel, Christian living in a right way, a conduct that is befitting of Christ? Same point that we made with the, the widow, or not the widow, I'm sorry, the woman that wants to win uh, her non-Christian husband. Now, when we talked about the women, we talked about how she is to have chase conversation, that she is to be innocent, that she is to be pure. Men, we are too. All Christians are supposed to be. Ephesians 1, 3, and 4, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as chosen us before the foundation, uh, chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Are we living a life that is holy and without blame? Think about what that means in the home. If there are problems in that marriage and you're living a holy, blameless life as a man, there's no charge that can be made against you. She can't say, I would if, but you're not blank because you're living in such a way that she can't make a righteous charge. Yeah, I get it. People of the world, if you're married to a non-Christian, it is possible, maybe even likely, that she'll bring charges against you that are slanderous, like we've talked about in the context of 1 Peter chapter 2. But remember what verse 12 said, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they should behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. You know, what about the woman who might be out there running her mouth at work? Running her mouth if if that's the way uh, she is being a helpmeet, uh, if, if she's wherever, if she's at the grocery store, if she's wherever, uh, she may be around people, maybe in the neighborhood, maybe at coffee with friends, whatever the case may be. If she's running her mouth, my husband this, my husband that, my husband this, have you lived in such a way that somebody might look at her and be like, really? Him? But he seems like such a great guy. And make her have to take that step back and say, why is it that I'm looking at him this way? Let your conduct speak. But you know what a lot of people do? A lot of people will look at problems in a marriage and instead of trying to live and conduct themselves aright, they give in and start creating an environment that and a culture that doesn't allow for the gospel to take effect. Don't do that with the wives and the husband, right? The likewise point. 
why they behold while they behold your chaste conversation. That verse goes on to say, coupled with fear. Does your wife see the fear of God in you? That you respect, revere, and fear our maker. That you're going to conduct yourself in a right way because you know the consequences of not. Not, not just, hey, you might leave me. And that ought to be a consequence that no man wants to face. But also, if I don't conduct myself as a godly man, my wife needs to see in me that beyond the physical, I fear the spiritual consequences. The Hebrew writer in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 28 and 29 says, Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace, whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. Now listen, remember, we're talking about conduct. We're not talking about words. We're not talking about a husband that walks over to his wife and says, I just heard a sermon that's teaching me that I need to fear God, so I want you to know I fear God. The question is, does she see it? Not hear it. All of this is about what is visible, not audible, right? About conduct. Does she see a man that is focused on the spiritual rather than the carnal, the external? A spiritually focused man. Again, all Christians, Romans 13, 14, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Does your wife see in you that you are focused on the internal versus the external, that you're not putting on a show, that you don't care more about the, the physical, the carnal, that your focus is right? You know, in the book of Jeremiah, we read in Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24, Thus saith the Lord, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, neither let the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches, but let him that glorieth glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me, that I am the Lord, which exercise loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, saith the Lord. So men, if your wife sees in you that you're focused on the carnal, how in the world do you think she's going to learn to think spiritually? You, as the leader of the home, are focusing on the carnal. You're always talking to her about physical things, you know, fitness or finances you know, or, or how smart you are in the world and why education is so high. And she sees you invest all this time in the physical what she's seeing about you in the spiritual. Is the spiritual just a show? You know, people of the world, and even if your wife is a Christian, people in general aren't so ignorant that they can't tell a fraud when they see it. People, after a while, will see that an outward show is being put on display here. That They're worried about appearances rather than what is really going on. Think about Jesus' perspective. In Matthew 6, 5-8, When thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say to you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut thy door, pray to the Father which is secret, 
My Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. But when you pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Be not therefore like unto them, for your Father knoweth what things you have need of before you ask him. So what does your wife see? A show? An outward show? Or does she see that you genuinely serve God even when you're in the most private circumstances, when it appears that nobody is looking? You're dwelling with them. You're dwelling with them. You're living with them. They get to see who you are in moments where other people aren't watching. Do they see that meek individual? You know, we talked about the women in 1 Peter 3, 4. The ornament of a meek and quiet spirit. Do they see that in you? Meekness, humility, etc. Colossians 3.12, put on therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering. Do they see meekness? Do they see that you're of a mild disposition, that you have a gentle spirit? Or do they see carnal aggression? What are they seeing? And again, these, these are in moments where maybe nobody else is looking. And it's not that, you know, just, just to balance this point a, a little bit, because <laughs> there are people that anytime a point is made tend to look at the extremes. And one of the extremes here that could be counterproductive, we're going to talk about the next point, is there is a, a demeanor that men ought to be capable of having. And that part of that is what your wife would be able to trust in. And that is something we don't want to go away. We, we don't want to teach men to be so meek that they're not manly, right? Uh, think about things like anger. When you look at Jesus, he goes into the temple in John 2, 13 and following, and he sees the exchangers of money there, and they're turning the temple into a den of thieves. He got angry and he reacted. He made a whip and drove them out. It's not that men are supposed to be so meek that they don't have that in them. You know, be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down in your wrath, Ephesians 4.26. Not saying be so mild, be so gentle that you don't have manliness in you. You know, we don't want that to happen. You want to be meek without being weak. People confuse that. They, they somehow pervert that. The Bible teaches us, 1 Corinthians 16, 13, gives us this imagery. Watch ye, stand fast in the faith. Quit, meaning act. Act ye like men, be strong. Men are supposed to act different than women in some ways. So be meek, but not weak, right? At the same time, let that manliness have a quiet peace about us because Christians, Hebrews 12, 14, follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. You, you need to be the guy that maybe you'll get angry in stupid traffic, which is pretty hard not to do if you live somewhere like El Paso, Texas, where I'm at and the traffic is in a lot of times insane and it's made worse by people that just refuse to obey traffic laws and bob and weave in and out of traffic, causing traffic jams to be even worse, uh, might get angry at that. 
but then let that wife who is watches your, your anger see that you contain it, that you control it. Not rolling your window down and screaming things at people who aren't obeying the law, but being peaceful with it. Let your wives see that side of you. Be meek without being weak and be strong without being a troublemaker. Allow that to be on display in the most frustrating of carnal moments. Let your wife see, like we talked about with the women in 1 Peter 3 and verse 5, that you trust in God. In Psalm 56, 4, the psalm says, In God will I praise his word. In God I put my trust. I will not fear what flesh can do unto me. Your wife is going to see that you trust in God, that you believe his promises by how you conduct yourself. Whatever it is that you're going through, think about a, a, a Christian man that can look at his wife, whether she's in Christ or not, and things are going terrible in the world. Things are going terrible in the flesh. Maybe things are going terrible in a carnal way with the family. And the man that can look at his wife and, and, and say with all confidence, with full faith, hey, listen, at least what we are facing now is temporary. If his wife's not a Christian, to be able to look at her and say, I wish you would join me in Christ so that you can, you can have the sense of security that I have that no matter what goes wrong in this world, whatever man may do in this world, that there is a home beyond this world, eternal in the heavens. And let her see that those aren't words, but full confidence in your conduct will support that. Men, fill your role. Fill your role. If married to a Christian woman, understand the spiritual role, right? There's, there's a difference in how we will react to our wives if it's a twofold relationship versus singular. Because if she's a Christian, Galatians 5.13, brethren, you have been called into liberty. Only use not your liberty for occasion of the flesh, but by love serve one another. Ephesians 5.21, right before you get to the husband's authority over the wife, says submitting yourselves to one another in the fear of God. You are going to listen to your Christian wife. There's going to be a difference that is there. A difference that, hey, hopefully, if it's a non-Christian wife, she would soon recognize my relationship would get better if I were a Christian. Maybe she gets to see how you interact with your sisters in Christ and how there is a sense of relief in conduct and conversation around your sisters in Christ. Let your wives see that there is eternal as well as earthly benefits in being in a marriage with a Christian. Do well. Like we saw the women instructed in 1 Peter 3 and verse 6. Do well or do good. You know, back to 1 Peter 2.15 in this context. So is the will of God that with well-doing you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. Say a Christian man is married to a non-Christian woman or, or the other way. I mean, whatever way you want to cut this. And the wife conducts herself in a way that could get a carnal response out of her husband. And the Christian man reacts in a good way. Hey, the scriptures teach us, 3 John verse 11, Beloved, 
Follow not that which is evil, but that which is good. He that doeth good is of God, but he that doeth evil hath not seen God. You're going to show your wife that you follow God in your Christian conduct. So you're residing together. You're dwelling with them. They get to see and be part of moments that even your brethren in the congregation don't get to see. When you wake up, when you go to bed, when you're physically ill, how you are in moments of frustration that might happen in an instant. How are you going to live with your wife, men? How are you going to reside with them? You know what Solomon said in Ecclesiastes 9.9? 9? Live joyfully with the wife whom thou lovest all the days of thy life of thy vanity, because your physical life is vain, right? Which he hath given thee under the sun all the days of vanity, for this is thy portion in this life and the labor which thou hast taken under the sun. Will, will you be able to look at your wife and say, we're going to live joyfully. Earlier, we looked at Ephesians 5, and we talked about verses 25 through 28. Can you do that? Can you love your wife? Can you enjoy the physical side of marriage, even if she is not a Christian? You know, we talked about in Ephesians 5, 28, so ought men to love their wives, their own bodies. He that loveth his wife, loveth himself. Verse 29 says, no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it even as the Lord the church. Love your wife as you love yourself. Don't despise her. Christian or not, don't despise her. Dwell with her according to knowledge. That knowledge that we see there in Ephesians 5, and if you go on into chapter 6, talking about with the children, etc. Now, what kind of knowledge? Not the kind of knowledge the world gives you. Not the kind of knowledge that you might see on a television show or a movie or with your next door neighbors. Not what you might see on social media as to what is sold as a good marriage. But according to knowledge, according to the right kind of thinking, the right kind of knowing. Proverbs chapter 2 verses 1 through 12 gives us some things to think about as it relates to life in general but to the specific application here that we're talking about in our marriages, you can consider all that's said. Beginning at verse 1 of Proverbs 2, My son, if thou wilt receive my words and hide my commandments with thee, so that thou incline thy ear unto wisdom and apply thine heart to understanding. Yea, if thou criest after knowledge and liftest up thy voice for understanding, if thou seekest her as silver, searchest for her as for hid treasures, then shalt thou understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord giveth wisdom. Out of his mouth cometh knowledge and understanding. He layeth up sound wisdom for the righteous. He's a buckler to them that walk uprightly. He keepeth the paths of judgment and preserveth the way of his saints. Then shalt thou understand righteousness and judgment and equity, yea, every good path. When wisdom entereth in thy heart and knowledge is pleasant in thy soul. Discretion shall preserve thee. Understanding shall keep thee. To deliver thee from the way of evil man, from the man that speaketh forward things. So your wife gets to see, you have a kind of knowledge that she hasn't seen in other men. She didn't see maybe in her family. You know, if she's non-Christian, she hasn't seen godly wisdom in the home that she has grown up in. And she ought to be able to see, wow, you make decisions that focus more on the temporary and the immediate. You're focused on things that are of higher 
and greater consequence. And doing that, knowledge that comes from a desire to keep learning, not as though you're a know-it-all, but you have a heart that's willing to learn. Proverbs 23, 12, apply thine heart unto instruction and thy ears to the words of knowledge. Let her see that you have knowledge, you will gain more knowledge, that you love to use wisdom at applying that knowledge in the right kind of way. Now contrast that. What if she sees the opposite? Sort of like if you consider Romans 10, 1 through 3, where Paul says, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness, going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. Think about the man that is a carnal know-it-all. And his wife hears him talk, and she just thinks, what an idiot. Why would she want to listen to him? That's not a man leading his home in the right ways, in a godly way, and everything of the context that we're talking about. That's not trusting in God when all of the things that he has to say comes from worldly knowledge. How do you think a man could lead his wife, whether she's a Christian or not, in a godly way when he's dependent upon worldly wisdom, when he gains his knowledge from worldly wisdom, when the Lord teaches us that the wisdom of this world is foolishness, 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 19. In the previous verse, in 1 Corinthians 3, 18, let no man deceive himself. If any man among you seem to be wise in this world, let him become a fool that he may be wise. If you're talking to a man and, and this woman, whether she's a Christian or not, she sees he values knowledge from here, there, and everywhere. She doesn't see a man that trusts in God. She doesn't see godly wisdom. She doesn't see the right decision-making process. How willing is she going to be to follow you spiritually when you're not thinking spiritually? When she doesn't see the evidence of spiritual decision-making and the good that can come from it? The text goes on there in 1 Peter 3 and verse 7 after we talk about dwelling with him according to knowledge. It says, give honor unto the wife. Hmm. The, the word there, the word there, time, means value, like money paid, valuables, to esteem them, to dignify, honor, price, sum, etc. Uh, it's Strong's number 5092 if you want to look it up. Giving her reverence is part of the definition that Thayer gives. How are you treating your wife? Are you treating her like the world may look at a prostitute? Do you disrespect her? Giving honor to the wife. Think about that. Solomon in Proverbs 5, 18 and 19 says, Let thy fountain be blessed and rejoice with the wife of thy youth. Let her be as the loving hind in pleasant robe. Let her breast satisfy thee at all times and be thou ravished always with her love. <laughs> Boy, you see her. Does she see that you see her this way? That you value her, that you honor her, that you treasure her? Now look, if I'm thinking as a Christian, 
I brought up earlier Romans 12, 9, to let love be without hypocrisy. Dissimulation, the verse says it, but it means hypocrisy. Verse 10 says to be kindly affection one another, brother love, in honor, preferring one another. This should not be a foreign thought process to us as Christians. And when we studied 1 Peter 2, 7, we saw this Greek word there. See if you can pick it out. Unto you, therefore, which believe he is precious, but unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same as made the head of the corner. Could, could you pick out what word there is translated differently than honor? It's the word precious. And here it's how we look at Jesus. Well, this is how you look at your wife. Like she's precious. Now again, it's easier with some women than other. Proverbs eleven sixteen: A gracious woman retaineth honor, and strong men retaineth riches. But First Peter three seven doesn't give us a qualifier here. Nor does the rest of the scriptures. Men, if you don't value your wife, what do you expect in return? Maybe you made a bad decision on the woman that you married. Turn it into a better one. Guide her. Lead her. Teach her. Be an example unto her. That's not for you to sit down and say, this is what God says, this is what God says. Remember, our context. Context. If they will not obey the word, may without the word be one. If she's a non-Christian wife, let your life be the sermon. You shouldn't have to be saying, you know why I did this? Because this verse says this and this verse says that. Just let her see it. Let her see the results of spiritual wisdom and knowledge. Honor her. Let her see that you fear God enough to love your wife because he says so. 1 Peter 3, 7 says to give honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, the more feeble vessel. That's the word in, in 1 Corinthians 12, 22 is translated, nay, much more those members of the body which seem to be more feeble are necessary. So I'm, I'm thinking about that principle, right? The world, worldly wisdom looks at feeble as a pariah, as somebody that ought to be set aside, as somebody that slows you down. Well, this is not an insulting term, and I hope that nobody would take this in such a way. Uh, when you look at valuables, right, and thinking about this in the greater context, looking at her as the weaker vessel, uh, something, an apparatus, something that is useful, if you've got something very useful in your home, but you value it, you honor it, you, you understand that it's precious, how do you handle it? You handle it in such a way. Think about that. Do you support husbands? Do you support your wife like those in a congregation that are weaker may need supported? 1 Thessalonians 5.14, we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly. Comfort the feeble-minded. Support the weak. Be patient toward all men. Do, do you support her? And in the carnal sense, like we talked about in 1 Timothy 5.8, uh, earlier, and, and, and being, hey, I, I, I'm going to take care of my wife. She can know I got her. She's not going to be out on the streets living in a cardboard box at some point in time. Can she have faith in you? 
Can she look at you as that man? Remember when we talked about this, about being meek but not weak? Well, what about Mark 3.27? No man can enter into a strong man's house and spoil his goods, except he will first bind the strong man, then will he spoil his house. Does your wife feel safe? Does she feel that you've given her a home of safety? It's part of our responsibilities as men and that she doesn't have to defend herself. You're there for that. That, that allows her to be at ease like we are as Christians. We know that no matter what happens to us, our Lord's got us, right? Now, that doesn't mean bad won't happen because time and chance happens to us all. Ecclesiastes 9.11. But think about the point in Hebrews 13.5 and 6 to let your uh, conversation be without covetousness. Be content with such as you have. For he said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. So that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Think about that principle. It's not that persecution doesn't happen. It's not that we might not be killed. We know all those things are real possibilities and happened to saints in the first century. Happened to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But we trust in our God. That's the kind of trust a man needs to provide for his wife, whether she is in Christ or not. That comfort, that hope, that faith. The focal point in 1 Peter 3, 7, the weaker vessel that this woman is, that's honored, dwell with her as being heirs together of the grace of life. This, whether your wife is a Christian or not, I thought hard about this. And at first I thought, you know, we got to be talking only about Christians who are married to other Christians. But but no, this is, could also be in the sense of the goal of converting them with the greater context, right? I want my wife to be in heaven, so I'm going to live with her as though that is the case. That, that language uh, of heirs together, the grace of life, is about the hope of eternal life. Titus 3, 7, that being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Well, we know there's not going to be marriage in heaven. When the Sadducees uh, tempted Jesus, uh, I'll use Mark's account, Mark 12, 18 through 27, and they used the law of Moses. So man, brother die, has no children. His brothers raise up, raise up seed, has seven brethren, took her to wife. They all died having no seed. Whose wife will she be in the resurrection? So Jesus told them that they erred because they didn't know the scriptures nor the power of God. For when they raised from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are as the angels which are in heaven. And then he comes back to the law of Moses and teaches them a point about life after death. The point from this, there's no marriage in heaven. So as being heirs together, the grace of life is a spiritual focus. I know that when I'm in eternity with my Lord and my wife in the flesh, Katrina, is in eternity with the Lord, that I'm not going to be saying, hey, honey, let's go over here and spend some private time together. It's not a physical realm. The physical side of marriage is over. When you realize that and you live your life that way, it, it makes the focus of the marriage spiritual eternal. I want to see you live forever. I want to see that. So there's no marriage in heaven, 
the number one focus of a godly man, which in that marriage is that she spends eternity there, whether she's a Christian or not. And, and the verse that kind of brought this into life for me is 1 Corinthians 7, 16. What knowest thou, O wife, whether thou shalt save thy husband? Or how knowest thou, O man, whether thou shalt save thy wife? That's talking about the woman and the man that's married to the non-Christian and how they might leave that and that might happen. You might have to live a celibate life. However, stay with them if they be willing to stay with you. Dwell with them if they be willing to dwell with you because you might save that person's soul. That is the focal point of being heirs together as the grace of life. Live in your marriage as that. That, that, that phrase, heirs together, is translated in Romans 8, 17. If children, then heirs, heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ. See, here's a great point. Uh, excuse me, I'm about to start sneezing. <coughs> Pardon me there. Uh, been fighting that the whole podcast. I don't know if you picked up on that, but we're 45 minutes in and I've been trying to hold back on sneezing the whole time. But joint heirs with Christ, if so be we suffer with him, we may also be glorified together. So when we think about Ephesians 5, 25 and following, or 22 and following the whole context into chapter 6 and verse 4, me as a man, I look at Jesus as the model. That's why him being the head of the church the husband being the head of the wife, is used as the illustration, right? I look at him as the model. Everything he did in coming to this world, descending back into heaven as the mediator, is so that I might be a joint heir with him. So here's how he is my example. So I want to govern my home as the head of the home, as Christ governs the church with the goal, like we talked about when we read it earlier from Ephesians 5, 25 through 28, to present my wife, holy and blameless, just like he wants to present the church holy and blameless in the day of judgment. That's the goal, to be joint heirs. When we look at other verses that use this translation, Ephesians 3, 6, Gentiles shall be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of the promise uh, in Christ by the gospel. Like, hey, there are men out there that are focused on, and, and again, rightly so to a degree, I want to provide the physical things of my, of, for my family, rightly so, to a degree. But what about being fellow heirs? What about that? What about that? What about being heirs with him of the same promise? Hebrews 11 and verse 9. Does the actions of faith show that? Now listen. If in the event that anybody doesn't understand 1 Peter 3, 1 through 7, again, likewise tying it all together, and they think that this is just suggestions. I don't know why anybody would take it that way. When there is counsel given in the Bible that leaves us with liberty to make choices, like Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, uh, verses 6 through 9. He, he makes that clear. I speak this by permission and not a commandment. But just in the event that it's not clear enough, 1 Peter 3, 7 concludes with that your prayers be not hindered. I don't want to spend a great amount of time here because in the context, we're going to get to this. What's that mean? 1 Peter 3, 12, the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous. His ears are open to their prayers, but the face of the Lord is against them 
that do evil. Listen, if you husbands, and then keeping in context the wife as well, aren't focused on the spiritual in your marriage as all Christians ought to be, your prayers are hindered, which puts you where? That puts you in the camp of the unrighteous. Who doesn't God hear? John 9, 31, the blind man there quoted, Now we know that God heareth not sinners. If any man be a worshiper of God and doeth his will, him he heareth. And if you're a sinner that God's not hearing, whose child are you? 1 John 3, 8 through 10, He that committeth sin is of the devil. For the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifest that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin. For a seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin because he's born of God. In this, the children of God are manifest, and the children of the devil. Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. Hear that. If your prayers are hindered, that means you're a child of the devil. You're a sinner. If we're not obeying, men and women here, 1 Peter 3, 1 through 7, as Christians, if you're not living Christ in your marriage and focusing on the spiritual more than the carnal, and like we talked about, there is a place for the carnal. But if you're not living that right, you're in error. You're in sin. You got to hear that. You got to hear that. So that's... What I got for you on 1 Peter 3, 1 through 7. Next week, we're going to pick up verses 8 and 9. Finally, be of all one mind, having compassion one another, love as brethren, be pitiful, be courteous, not rendering evil for evil or railing for rain, but contrarywise blessing. Know that thereunto you're called, that you should be that you should inherit a blessing. So we we come off of the focus of marriage and we come back to the general context that we've been talking about since chapter 2. Come back to the rest of the letter and think about how we're to treat one another as brethren, because this is written to saints who were scattered facing persecution. How should you treat your brethren? I hope this has been uh, information that will be helpful to you. And listen, wherever you are in the stage of your marriage, if you're married, if it's not where God wants it to be, go to work. Even, this is what 1 Peter 3, 1 through 7 teaches us. Even if that is one-sided, okay? Don't make the excuses. Get to work. That's it, folks. If all goes according to plan, uh, Tuesday's podcast will be up. Uh, Tuesday's podcast is a conversation between Myself and Trey Yeager, we share the last name because he is my youngest son. And we're going to be talking about uh, the difficulties that come and, and different lessons regarding uh, withdrawing from people that are part of your physical family. I hope you'll tune in and listen to that. I think you'll find that to be interesting. It certainly, uh, I've already recorded it. It was a challenging uh, subject matter to talk about. Uh, but if all goes according to plan, that'll be up on Tuesday. Thank you so much, and until next time, I'll say goodbye.